We come now, brethren, to the preaching of God's Word, and I invite you to take out your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3. 1 Peter, chapter 3. And I will be reading and then preaching this morning on verses 1 through 7. 1 Peter, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Actually, we'll be looking primarily at verses 1 and 2, but we're going to read the section in its entirety. 1 Peter chapter 3, and beginning in verse 1. Here Peter writes, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good. Do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your kindness today, for bringing us together to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we would now ask for your blessing as we turn our attention to the word and we would ask for the powerful working of the Holy Spirit this morning, that he would be our guide and our teacher, that he would grant us an understanding of this text of Scripture and help us to apply it in such a way that you are glorified, that Christ is honored, and we are spiritually blessed. Bless us as a church as we hear the preached word today, for we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we want to look again at the subject of Christian submission. Christian submission. And we want to do so with our focus directed to the practice of submission in marriage. Submission in marriage. For as we noted back in our consideration of 1 Peter chapter 2, God in his sovereign authority and rule over us has established various institutions to bring order and well-being to human society. And it is within the context of these institutions and our active participation in these institutions that we actually learn what true Christian submission really involves. In fact, to ignore these basic institutions or to refuse to participate in them is not the course of wisdom for us, but is a course of foolishness and folly. For what we need is not total freedom from human institutions, but a healthier respect 
for the human institutions that God has established for our own good. We should be eager to learn how these institutions should function within God's glorious design so that we can learn submission to him and to one another for the glory of God and the furtherance of the gospel. And marriage, needless to say, is one of these human institutions that God has established to promote happiness and order and structure for the family and to provide for the contentment of those who are joined together in, in the institution of Christian marriage. And those who are married should be willing, they should be eager to learn the importance of submission in marriage so that their marriage can function and flourish as God has designed it. Therefore, given that marriage provides a context and a setting for teaching and learning and modeling what Christian submission should be, it should not surprise us then that Peter now addresses submission in marriage here in the beginning of this third chapter of the book of First Peter. For without the biblical institution of marriage, there is no model for how family relationships are to be structured. And without proper submission in marriage, marriages cannot function in a manner that ensures the happiness and well-being of those who participate in it. And so there is a serious need for a clear understanding within society and Christian marriages especially of the role that true biblical submission plays within God-honoring, gospel-promoting Christian marriages. And of course, Peter helps us to see the need for and the proper functioning of Christian submission within marriage in these verses we just read moments ago. For in these seven verses, Peter describes for us the way that true submission in marriage should operate. And he identifies the benefits that come to each partner in marriage, to the wife and to the husband, when they both freely submit to God's will in this area. And so, beginning this morning and the next two Sunday mornings, Lord willing, I want us to focus on this section of Scripture. And I want us, because it is an important section of Scripture, to draw out, as one would draw out refreshing water from a deep well, those biblical truths, principles, and applications that we need to guide and inspire our submission in marriage. And let me just say, before we dive into these verses, that if we are not married this morning, either because we're, we're still waiting for God's leading in this area, or we don't see marriage in our future anytime soon, we shouldn't conclude too quickly or too hastily that this section has no present application for us. For what we hear this morning and during the next two weeks, Lord willing, will better equip us for that time when we will one day marry or for the work of praying for and encouraging those who are married 
to fulfill their duties in the area of Christian submission. And so let's begin our consideration of submission in marriage. And my focus today will be, as I said earlier, on verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2, which read as follows. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And of course, we want to unpack these verses and consider what they teach about the way that wives in particular are to demonstrate and model genuine submission in the context of a Christian marriage. However, before we do, I want us to notice something that a larger view of this section of chapter 3 reveals. And that is that Peter addresses here first the submission of wives before he addresses the submissive duties of husbands. He addresses the duties of wives before he addresses the submissive duties of husbands. And sadly, some have tried to suggest that Peter's placement of this section reveals that he had a, a very low or a substandard view of women. Since this section follows Peter's instructions to slaves at the end of chapter 2, and for the purposes of submission, Peter places a wife under her own husband. And yet, to be so critical of the Apostle Peter, simply because he addresses the submissive duties of a wife first, is clearly unwarranted. It's unwarranted. In fact, I would suggest that the fact that Peter addresses the wives first says something very significant about the very high view that Peter has for Christian wives and their roles in marriage. For if Peter did hold to a view that Christian wives were inherently and spiritually inferior to their own husbands, or that being a Christian wife is a far less noble calling than being a Christian husband, it seems very doubtful that Peter would have addressed wives first, or that Peter would have addressed wives at all. In fact, if he had no regard for Christian wives, he probably would have said nothing. He would have ignored them completely. But that's not what he did. When it comes to something as important as marriage, when it comes to something as important as modeling submission in the home and furthering the impact of the gospel there, Peter first addresses the wives. Where a Christian wife is not below her husband in her standing before God. A Christian wife is not the property of her husband simply to be used and managed as a resource or some asset would be. But she was made to stand with her husband as an equal in the sight of God. In fact, in writing of the creation of Eve out of Adam's rib, Matthew Henry wrote these words. And I think these words 
are very helpful, very insightful. I pray you'll listen to them very carefully. Matthew Henry wrote, The woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, near his heart to be loved by him. And of course, a godly husband truly knows all of this, and he rejoices in his wife and in her equality, spiritually speaking. In fact, Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 4 refers to a godly wife as the crown of her husband. The crown of her husband. And Proverbs 31 and verse 11 declares concerning the godly wife that the heart of her husband trusts in her. The heart of the husband trusts in her. And so in addressing wives here first, Peter is not expressing a low or a substandard view of wives, but he is actually honoring wives. And he addresses his first appeal here in the interest of promoting true godly submission to Christ within Christian marriage to them, to them first. Peter's first appeal is simply this. I'm going to paraphrase this in the context of the larger section. Peter's first appeal is simply this. Be subject to your own husbands, or Peter's appeal here in the context of it all, in essence says this. See that God in his true kindness has given you a Christian husband and that he has made this provision for his glory and for your good. Therefore, in gratitude to God, and in recognition of what marriage requires from both of you, be subject to your own husband. Notice that language, in gratitude to God, and in recognition of what marriage requires from both of you, be subject to your own husband. For in seeing things from the perspective of God's providence, in seeing things from the perspective of what is required to promote God's glory, seeing things from the perspective of what marriage needs, we can understand why submission is so important. And in the case of Christian wives, your submission wives, according to Scripture, involves being in willing subjection to your own husband. Being in willing subjection to your own husband. Not being subject to every man in general. Hear me carefully. Not being subject to every man in general, but being subject to your own husband in particular. You as a Christian wife do not know, do not owe every man your submission. But you certainly owe your husband who's been given to you by God your submission. In fact, Peter is saying here to the wives, no man is entitled to the kind of submission that I'm speaking of here except your own husband. 
that man that you are in marriage covenant with, that one whom God has given you as your partner and your companion for life in the context of marriage, for he is called to exercise a sacrificial and loving headship over you. And his headship over you is not purely authoritarian. It is not a headship that is to be cruel or overbearing, but it is a headship that is to be similar to the kind of headship that the Lord Jesus Christ exercises over his own bride, the church of which you and I are a part of. For Peter is saying to wives, if your husband exercises his God-given headship over you, a headship he must be very careful not to abuse, you wives in turn are to exhibit a submissive spirit towards him that you are not to withhold from him. For as your husband looks after your good, you are subject to him alone for the Lord's sake for your and his well-being. For a man who has a submissive wife who respects him and who seeks his good, although he still leads her imperfectly, is a man who won't easily dismiss his wife's influence. And if he is an unbeliever, while his wife is a believer, there is that steady hope that her influence in time will draw him to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. In fact, I want you to notice here in the text that Peter sets forth this hope that her influence will lead him to Christ, not as a mere wish, but as something that should highly motivate the submissive wife of the unbelieving husband to persevere in doing and to pray for. For everything that wives and husbands are called to do in marriage is to be set against the background of the gospel. Let me repeat that. Everything that wives and husbands are called to do in marriage is set against the background of the gospel. All the interactions that take place in a marriage are to be guided and controlled by the gospel. And if one person in marriage is a believer while the other person is not, then the one who believes should seek opportunities to not only promote marital harmony for the sake of the gospel, but to display their faith and the power of the gospel to radically change their spouse's life and focus. For Peter clearly reveals here in 1 Peter that one's partner's unbelief does not erase the other partner's responsibilities with regard to marriage. I want you to notice in this section, Peter does not say here, be subject to your own husbands only if they believe, or only if they are obedient to the word. But Peter actually presents a scenario here where a husband is clearly not believing in Christ. And yet Peter instructs Christian wives here to persevere in their duties to their husbands and to do so for a gospel purpose. For if their husbands are not abusive, 
if their husbands do not ask them to violate or compromise their faith in submitting to them, if their husbands are not violently opposed to the practice of their faith, if they're not attempting to hinder them from obeying Christ and the gospel message, then a Christian wife should extend her glad submission to her own husband, even if he is unwilling to hear the truth. You say, why is Peter devoting so much attention to this? Because this was a practical reality in that day. In fact, it's a practical reality in our day. There are many Christian women who are married to men who are not believers. They wish that were not the case, but it's true. Peter's words here speak directly to that situation. They're very applicable to modern-day circumstances. For in God's providence, believing wives have been placed in their unbelieving husbands' lives for a divine purpose. And in the kindness of God, that unbelieving husband has been joined in marriage to a Christian wife who supports him and prays for him and is willing to do for him in Christ's name what no other wife would do. And in the mercy of God, it may well be that God will greatly use her in her capacity as a wife who obeys God by submitting to her husband as a means of bringing the truth of the gospel to him. For there are things that are communicated by a Christian wife's devotion to Christ, by her willing submission to her own husband, that are more powerful than mere words that are more powerful than mere words. In showing forth the power of the gospel in her life, a gospel that enables her to submit even to one who does not share the same faith, she may be used as the human means that God is pleased to bring her husband to salvation. And of course, this is the sincere hope of every Christian wife who has an unsaved husband today, that God would use her witness in some way to show her husband his own need of Christ and to lead him to true repentance and to saving knowledge of Christ. And clearly, brethren, by Peter mentioning here this real possibility, I'm convinced that Christian wives who do submit to their unsaved husbands who do model the power of the gospel before their husbands have reason to be hopeful, have reasons to be prayerful, have reasons to believe that God will do whatever is right by way of her family. For while having a godly submissive wife is no guarantee that a man will be awakened to his need and come to Christ, it is nevertheless a sign of God's mercy. It is a sign of God's mercy if a man has a believing wife. It is evidence that God has not left that unbelieving man entirely to himself, but has placed him under the influence of a godly wife on purpose, that it may well be in time that God will bring him to salvation through Christ. And so, just as I say to parents who have unbelieving children, do not give up 
hope that God will use your influence to awaken your children to what they've been taught and what they need to do. So I say this morning to believing wives who have unbelieving husbands this morning, do not give up hope. Do not stop praying. Do not stop modeling the gospel. Do not stop being submissive. For what may seem like unbreakable hardness in your husband's heart may melt away soon under the powerful word of your conduct. What a wife does in terms of her submissiveness to her husband may seem like very little. It may seem unnoticed. And yet, in time, your conduct, Christian wife, may be the plow blade that God uses to break up that hardened ground, to soften that hardened heart so that God's word may take root and spring up in your husband's life unto eternal life. Yes, I say to wives who model submissiveness to their husbands, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Your submissiveness may well be serving God's greater gospel purposes. And so pray much, pray much, and fully realize what is the most effective means of witnessing to your husband. And that is a submissive spirit that does not attack or assault your husband with a flurry of words or nag your husband into a state of indifference or numbness or repel or drive your husband away by your constant rebukes, but rather it is a spirit that reaches out to him with genuine gentleness and calmness. In fact, Lord willing, we'll consider this next Sunday, a week from today, as we talk about the importance of what Peter identifies here in verse 4 of chapter 3, as a wife's gentle and quiet spirit. A wife's gentle and quiet spirit. For while there is always a place for a wife to speak of the impact of Christ in her own personal life, a truly wise wife's primary approach to winning her husband to the truth is the evidence of her sweet and submissive spirit coupled with her overall Christian conduct and demeanor. For what attracts an unbelieving husband to his wife's faith is not her constant preaching or her perpetual pleas for him to change his wicked ways, but the fact that she chooses to be subject to him, to love him, to support him, to promote his happiness and well-being as her life partner and her consistency in living the Christian faith with a quiet and gentle demeanor. For by approaching her unbelieving husband in this manner, a believing wife wins her husband's respect, which is the surest way to winning his heart. Whereas... A wife who can only point out where her husband misses the mark and how his lack of faith is always separating them will often be instrumental in discouraging her husband altogether. 
So Peter is expressing great pastoral wisdom here in verse 2 as he advises believing wives to submit to their unbelieving husbands in such a way that words may not be necessary. In fact, he's suggesting that words are not necessary to win them to faith. Notice the expression without words. To win them to faith. Of course, by saying this, I'm not suggesting that a wife should never speak the word in the presence of her husband. Peter is not banning the use of the word as she interacts with her husband and her family, for her speech should always be Christ-centered and edifying speech. But her primary goal should be that of willing submission to her husband and that of ensuring that there is nothing in her demeanor or in her support of him that would in any way hinder his willingness to hear the gospel at some future point in time. So the believing wife, for the sake of Christ, and in her continuing hope in the power of the gospel, is called to conduct herself before her husband in a certain way. What kind of conduct speaks most powerfully through her? Well, notice how Peter describes her conduct here in verse 2. He describes her conduct, by the way, as it is seen through the eyes of her unbelieving husband. As it is seen through the eyes of her unbelieving husband. For the primary sense of Peter's words here seem to be on the overall perceptions of her conduct in the eyes of her husband. For what moves his heart towards her and hopefully towards the gospel is her respectful and pure conduct towards him. Because he realizes that there's something very special and unusual about the way she treats him. That although he does not share her faith, nor does he seem to respect it, nonetheless, she loves him. She respects him. She prays for him. She's pure in her conduct towards him. For in living and behaving in a respectful way toward her husband, by submitting to his God-given authority, encouraging him and praying for him, she's actually working to move him towards the gospel. And he's far more inclined from a purely human standpoint to listen when he is honored and acknowledged in this way by the wife who loves him. And in a very similar way, an unbelieving husband can be moved or influenced through the purity of his believing wife's conduct also. For as he sees his wife's holiness of life, as he watches her pray, pray for him. She watches, as he watches the way that she pursues her Christian responsibilities, it moves him, it affects him. As he watches the way she keeps herself only for him, how she maintains her heart and her loyalty towards him, he is impacted for good. For what man isn't encouraged by his own wife's devotion to him alone and her efforts to show purity of love and hope towards him only. Yes, Peter portrays here the influence that a submissive wife can have on her own husband, even if he rejects the word of God for now. For now. And a wise wife will recognize the God-given influence that she has 
she will use that influence well. She will use that influence wisely because her primary influence is not one of manipulation. She's not always trying to manipulate him into giving her her own way, but she's trying to, through the power of the gospel in her life, influence her husband for good. She does this by first submitting to God and then to her husband for their good. She knows that God's blessings will come upon her and to her family through her husband. Through her husband. She appreciates him. She asks God to bless him and his role within the house. And I would submit to you that a wise husband, a perceptive husband on some level, even if he's an unbeliever, knows that knows that God uses God uses you see great influence has been entrusted to a God-fearing Christian wife that's the message here great influence often more influence than she realizes and maybe there's a Christian wife here this morning who has an unbelieving husband and you've been questioning whether or not there can be change in your husband's life. And certainly, you don't have the power in and of yourself to initiate, to accomplish that change. But your God does. And God, through his power, can use you mightily. He can use your influence, your submissiveness, to reach his heart to Christ. Gospel good can be done through you. And so much grace is available to you as you minister with a submissive and quiet spirit, performing your duties to God and to your husband. Christian wives, may God give you a sense of your holy calling to your Christian husbands if you're married to a Christian man. May you use your influence to support him and love him and help him be the man of God that God has called him to be. And if he's not a believer, may God use your influence to bring about a gospel change in his life that he may be the man of God that God, through his regenerating grace, would call to be as well. May God grant you a sense of the difference that you are making in your family's life. Christian wife, you are making a difference. You may not always see it. You may not always feel it. It may not always be evident. But in glory it will be. In God's time it will be manifested. And you can rejoice. You can rejoice. May God give you a sense of the influence that you have in the church's life and in the progress of the gospel at large. O oh, church of God, people of God, let us pray regularly. Let us pray earnestly for our Christian wives this morning. For those who will be Christian wives in the future, may you experience genuine joy in your fault.
May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for this practical pastoral wisdom that Peter provides. I pray especially today for that Christian wife who's here today, who's struggling under the burdens and the responsibilities that she feels that she has and does have by the grace of God, who may not have a sense of how important her work is or how much influence she actually possesses. May you bless her today and encourage your heart for that Christian wife who is here this morning who does not have a believing husband. May you cheer her heart as well. And knowing that in your divine providence you've placed this man in her life for a purpose, for a gospel purpose we trust, that in time he will come to faith in Jesus Christ without her even having to use words. Father, do a mighty work in your people. Strengthen your church. Strengthen Christian marriages. Strengthen Christian husbands and wives for your glory. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.